Hi, Lindsay here. Before we get started with today's episode, we just wanted to say thank you for sticking with us as we hit 50 episodes. Thank you for listening, for sharing, and for introducing us to some impressive women. And now, on with the show. I'm Lindsay Claiborne. And I'm Mumu Shu, and you are listening to Beyond the Microscope. Hi, everyone. We're back for another episode. Today's guest is Dr. Christy Canaria. She is the program director at the National Cancer Institute's SBIR Development Center. Welcome, Christy. Thank you for having me. Okay, so what is it that you do as a program director? I am actually one of about a dozen program directors working at the National Cancer Institute, NCI. We basically do programmatic oversight of a portfolio of awardees, and our awardees happen to all be small businesses who are working in the space of cancer care technologies. Okay, let me back up a little bit, because um, I actually don't really, I know the NC or National Cancer Institute, but I don't really know quite what it is that they do. <laughs> yeah. So the National Cancer Institute is one of the institutes at the NIH. And if folks aren't familiar with NIH, that's the National Institutes of Health. And there are over 20 different institutes at the NIH, each with a mission that is focused on different health or disease states, all with the mission towards doing research to benefit public health. And at the National Cancer Institute, we are focused on moving technologies and research forward to address the needs of cancer patients and families who are affected by cancer. And so the SBIR sort of development center is where you guys, what is that focused on? So the National Cancer Institute has what's called the Small Business Innovation Research Development Center, and we call that the NCI-SBIR. It's an office that works to fund and support small businesses who are working on cancer care technologies. So the SBIR program is actually a congressionally mandated program. Each agency has set aside dollars um, to support commercialization activities, basically. Um, And what that means is we fund small businesses uh, to carry out research, R&D research and development that is in line with our agency's mission. So in the case of the National Cancer Institute, we actually set aside money from our budget to support small businesses who are developing sort of next generation technologies in the biotech space. So that typically means things like new therapeutics or diagnostics, um, assays or devices uh, or software. And those are all meant to be biotechnologies that are supporting cancer research. What do you, like, that sounds like such a broad possibility. Do you sort of sift through all these small businesses and go, ooh, that sounds cool? Or how do you even begin to decide who should get funding? (laughs) Well, it's an interesting sort of space. So we work at this interesting intersection between academic science, industry, and government. If anyone out there is familiar with the NIH, you're probably familiar with the NIH as a big uh, research institution, um, but also a funding source. And and really a lot of what we do at the NIH is is fund research by, uh, you know, universities or hospitals, um, 
So if anyone is uh, familiar with the NIH, it's an institution that both does research and funds research that's carried out by others at research institutions or hospitals. We have a program that allows professors, typically um, researchers, to apply for funding. And at the NCI, the National Cancer Institute, we accept applications from researchers who are in small business biotech companies to propose uh, projects that they want to work on to support cancer, uh, cancer research. And when they come to the NCI, um, our Office of Program Directors, we're the ones who help um, make the funding decisions and oversee those uh, awards as they get, um, as they get funded. So I work um, uh, quite a bit with uh, SBIRs or STTRs that are uh, funded through um, DOD agencies. Um, so I don't know if that's similar to how you guys work, but for us, there are kind of topics that these, um, these, the, these agencies are interested in. So one might be on um, machine learning or something, right? Is that kind of how you guys operate as well, that there are these sort of areas that you're interested in focusing on and you kind of ask for proposals from people about that? Uh, that's a great point. So each agency in the federal government has set aside budgets to support small businesses through the SBIR and STTR programs. Agencies like the DOD, Department of Defense, are supporting small businesses who are working um, on projects that support the defense missions. At the NIH, we're supporting companies who have technologies that support NIH, and so typically those are life science um, sort of technologies we see a lot of therapeutic drugs that are being developed. Uh, we see a lot of next generation diagnostics and medical devices that people are developing. Um, at the NIH, most of it, many of it, is uh, focused on benefiting and moving forward technologies to support uh, better quality of life through health. Um, at the National Cancer Institute, our technologies that we fund are focused on addressing the prevention diagnosis of cancer. Can I go back like a lot and, and ask you maybe the obvious question, how did you land here? Is this where you thought you'd be? <laughs> or is this something you've been wanting to do? Or has it sort of been a winding path? <laughs> so for me, being at the National Cancer Institute's SBIR Center is sort of, a, it's been sort of a, a loop, a circle. So when I was doing my, my undergraduate and graduate work, um, between those two degrees, I actually worked for two years at a small biotech company. At the time, they were a small biotech company. Uh, I was there before they went public. I was there through their IPO. And in the, I don't want to give away my age, but <laughs> at the time, it was the it was a time of a lot of biotech boom, and it was in San Diego. And it was just a very exciting time. Um, I had my bachelor's degree in chemistry. I was working at a small biotech that was very exciting. Everyone was very much focused on, you know, making sure that this company would, would succeed and move forward. It just had a very, very strong energy, and I really enjoyed that. It was actually during my time at that small startup that I realized everyone who I respected 
at the company had a PhD. I didn't have a PhD at the time. So it was at that point I decided, okay, well, if I want to keep doing this sort of work, I should probably get a PhD. <laughs> so that, that's what I did. And I asked people, where should I go? And they said, uh, you know, you should check out Caltech. Um, I was in San Diego at the time, and Caltech is in Pasadena, not which that is far. sort of LA, not that far away, just a few hours drive up north. And so I ended up going to Caltech, uh, getting my PhD there. And at that time, I thought, okay, if I want to get into biotech industry, what do I have to do? And I looked around and it turned out everyone who was getting into biotech had to do some sort of postdoc in order to be competitive. So I said, okay, well, I'll do a short postdoc <laughs> because that's what you do to get into biotech. Um, I did a postdoc not because I wanted to be a professor, but because I was wanting to get back into the industry. So I did a short postdoc, like 18 months, and then I didn't find a job in biotech, but I found a job at a national lab, Lawrence Berkeley National Lab, uh, which is in Northern California. So basically, I started making my way up north. I worked at Lawrence Berkeley National Lab for two years, leading, uh, running a microscope facility, a confocal imaging center. And working at a government lab was really interesting because it gave me another perspective of how you could do science. So for the, historically, um, all my training up to that point had been at the bench. But once I got to Lawrence Berkeley National Lab, I realized that the role of policy um, made a big impact on how science could be carried out. And so that was my introduction to science policy. And I got really interested in that. And then I came across this program um, from the AAAS, the American Association for the Advancement of Science. They have a science and tech policy fellowship, which I applied for and I received. And so in order to take part in that, that fellowship, I, <laughs> I went across country. I had spent you know the last 10 years moving up California and then I decided to move all the way to the east side uh, oh, this to Washington, really D.C., which is where I am now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Are you me? <laughs> am I you? <laughs> yeah, so I made my way out to Washington, D.C. And for the fellowship, I interviewed and I rotated at a bunch of different agencies and the one that really resonated with me was the National Cancer Institute's SBIR Development Center. So I joined that office as a policy fellow and then I segued into becoming a program director and that's where I am now. And it sort of to me has been this cyclical journey moving from academia into the biotech space, wanting to get back into biotech going through the government and, and now finding this wonderful space that is sort of in the middle of it all. And that's where I am now. Do you think having a PhD and being sort of well-versed in, in the you know, government lab as well as, you know, startups and, and whatnot, and also sort of having been in, in at the bench, right, gives you a different perspective than when you, you take to policy or does it, you have to have known all that to, to be effective at policy? So I will say that 
everything I've done to date has led me to where I am now. This is not a path that I could have predicted uh, 10, 12, 20 years ago. Um, <laughs> but absolutely everything that I've everything that I've experienced helps me in the job that I do now. And one thing that I've really come to appreciate working in the science policy space is that being a scientist, having training in scientific thinking really informs in a positive way the decisions that we can make about how, how we form policy and how we carry out policy. And what that means for scientists, I think, um, is hugely important. As a researcher, as an undergraduate researcher, as a graduate researcher, I certainly took for granted what it meant to apply for, for grants. Um, you know, I was supported through my schooling through NSF and NIH grants, but I had no appreciation for what that meant or how the funding levels that were made possible for me to get those grants um, was achieved. And now that I'm on the other side in the government, it's very important for me that we keep these programs going and that we have all the information we need to, to basically build new policies, build new programs, and make them available for researchers at the bench. Knowing full weather is not really a typical day. Can you describe what a typical day <laughs> is for you? <laughs> I like this better, actually. <laughs> what does a typical day look like? Well, let me tell yeah. you what today looked like. I had a meeting at 9. Actually, it was a webinar that I called into, a, a call at 9. I had another call at 11. I had another call at 2. <laughs> Oh, I, I know the schedule. And then I had actually <laughs> set aside time for myself to do some writing at 3.30. And that didn't end up happening. I ended up doing a bunch <laughs> more emails and then taking some unexpected phone calls. <laughs> <laughs> so there's very little pipetting that happens in my life anymore. Do you, do you miss that? I, you know what I miss? I'm at heart, I think, a maker. I miss making things. When I was at the bench, I was building electrodes. I was building microfluidics devices. I was playing with electronics. I miss that. Um, I don't really miss my lab notebook. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> but, I, but I still get plenty of writing done. There's a, there's a, a lot of writing that has to happen uh, from the government side. Um, so are you the one kind of saying, kind of directing where um, kind of projects are going or the vision behind it? Or um, I'm trying to get a sense of what it is as a program director that you do. Yeah. So program director is a title that means different things at different agencies. So let's start there. Uh, what it means that my office at NCISBIR is that I help with the administration of grants, which really doesn't mean anything to you right now. Um, <laughs> I help with some of the funding decisions that get made. When people apply to the NIH, they actually get peer-reviewed. Um, we have these peer-review panels that are put together, 
and a researcher will have her or his uh, proposal reviewed by, by other scientists or other entrepreneurs. And then there comes a point where uh, program directors like myself uh, provide additional insight into which projects get funded. And then where we can, we help to make sure that those programs, those projects stay on track, um, that all the paperwork is met, and that the tax dollars that go into funding them are well spent. And I guess what's some criteria that you're looking at in order to decide, I'll, I want to fund that, or I don't want to fund that, or I'm excited about this? Yeah. So how do we decide what gets funded? There are some clear-cut criteria that we look for. The first level of, re of review happens with peer review, and, and applications get a score, and it's some number. Um, and depending on how good the score is, we can easily say we're going to fund this or that. Um, but there are other applications that may come in, and then we get to apply some discretion as program directors and think about does this applicant have other projects that they've worked on? Do they have a track record of, of successfully taking technologies forward towards the market? Um, is this a particular project that's aligned with what's hot right now? I uh, <laughs> hesitate to use the word hot, but you know things that are <laughs> of particular interest. You know, at the Can at the National Cancer Institute, um, we have uh, the Cancer Moonshot uh, program, which was recently announced, um, and there are different mission directives that are outlined in the Cancer Moonshot Blue Ribbon Panel report. Um, so things that are uh, topics like addressing health disparities or pediatric cancer, as an example. Um, some of these are not necessarily from the Blue Ribbon Panel. Um, but there are things that are of particular interest for NCI, but at the same time, we will welcome anything that is um, furthering the mission of the National Cancer Institute. How far ahead do you have to look? I mean, if you're picking uh, something to fund now, is this to start immediately, or is this something that you think in five years is what you want to be working on, or that the end result needs to... I mean, like, what's your time window you're working in? So one of the things you get to appreciate working in the government is long timelines. That's very diplomatic of you. <laughs> <laughs> At any given time, you're actually thinking about three different funding years. Um, fiscal, three different fiscal years. There's the fiscal year that we're actively in. Um, there's the fiscal year in which we are reviewing applications. And then there's the fiscal year after that in which we're basically preparing for. And working in the federal government, you come to an appreciation for how many different timelines you need to juggle just to make things right. work. <laughs> so you can imagine that when things aren't working, um, they tend to get stuck because you are tangled in three different timelines. And, and that's just something that we have to appreciate so that we can work through it. So you mentioned um, kind of the hot topics in cancer. Mm -hmm. um, can you sort of talk a little bit about what 
those might be? Sure. So when we think about what is important to the mission of the National Cancer Institute today, one place I can point people is to the Blue Ribbon Panel Report that was put together um, by NCI and others. And it sort of describes areas of interest um, for the community, for the cancer care community. And these are the sorts of things that we want to focus on in the coming five, ten years um, to, to move technologies closer to, to bringing public benefit. Um, some of those um, in particular that are appropriate for my office are basically a, a whole initiative towards developing next generation tools to address cancer. And that's a pretty broad um, uh, scope to be aiming for, but it really is indicating that we're interested in, in developing the next technologies that are really going to benefit people and health. Are there any projects, um, I guess past projects probably, that you uh, can talk about or kind of are excited about? Yeah, so when I think about the SBIR program and how it's really been impactful, I think about some of the big success stories that we've had. And, and one that comes to mind um, is kind of close to, to my heart because it happens to be the company that I used to work for many years ago. <laughs> um, it's a company called Illumina. And gosh, 20 years ago, they were a small, they were a small company. Um, and today they are arguably the leader in genomic um, genotyping. Um, and a lot of what they did, <clears throat> so a, a lot of what Illumina was able to do in terms of moving its programs, its pipeline of, of technologies forward was enabled by the SBIR program. So when you think about um, what the SBIR program does is it really funds early stage technologies. And these technologies don't move at a very fast pace. It's not like software where you write an app and it, you, know, you can knock it out and maybe get it out in a, in a few weeks or a month. Um, in the life science space, a lot of these technologies that are being developed will take five years, 10 years. So it's really a long-term investment. So when I think about how the SBIR program has really impacted the space. You have to sort of look, you know, years back to see, see where those those technologies have really made impact. Do you look at some of these proposals or these companies and these, and you say, oh my gosh, I'm, that's so cool. Like, do you have that sort of that awe <laughs> factor, or you're like, oh yeah, I've seen that before, or is it is it a mix of things? It is a mix of so it is a mix of things uh, that we see coming in as applications, but absolutely the ones that make you go, "Oh my gosh, who would have thought of that?" Those are the technologies that are really exciting. And one of the great things about being a program director at the SBIR Development Center is we get to see those technologies at the early stage. We get to work with the innovators, the entrepreneurs, the researchers who are dreaming up this stuff. And we know that we get to see it at this sort of day zero place, knowing that in five years and 10 years, it's going to be something amazing. 
um, being able to to see those technologies at this nascent early stage, I think is one of the most exciting things about my job today. Okay, so stepping back a little bit from your, your particular role and kind of thinking about NCI as a whole, um, what are the maybe technologies or research areas that you find the most exciting or the most promising that we can look forward to the next five, 10 years? Hmm. As a program director, it's hard to prospect (laughs) because that's what you're doing. (laughs) Um, And you want to be, (laughs) and you want to give all these technologies, you know, the opportunity to move forward. But things that I've seen of interest, okay, so based on my background, the things that I think are interesting are these tools that happen to span what I think of as um, interfaces in science disciplines. So technologies that combine microfluidics with cell capture, with single cell analysis. I think those technologies are really exciting because they pull from so many different dimensions of, of, uh, of natural sciences to, to make something innovative new tools. Those are the things that I think are exciting. If you ask some of my colleagues, they'll tell you that immunotherapies are the new place to be looking. Um, Some of them will say liquid biopsies are the new place to be looking. Um, But for me, I think the the really exciting place is where you can sort of combine different, different areas of science together to develop new tools. So for me, it's new tools. So one of the programs that I help manage um, for the NIH and the CDC is called i at NIH. And it's what I think of as an entrepreneurial training program. It really takes innovators and entrepreneurs and researchers and helps them understand what it's going to take to move their technologies to the next step, to get those technologies adopted by the community. Because when the way I think of it is the taxpayers are making their investment into these technologies through the SBIR program. And as a program director, it's in um, one of my goals is to make sure that those investments lead to dividends, if you will, um, for, the, for the public. And so a program like i is designed as a course. It's sort of this eight-week intense sort of boot camp course. And we have instructors that come and teach these researchers how to think about their technologies, not from the science aspect, but from the adoption side. So helping them understand things like who are the end users who will use this technology? Who are the customers that will use this technology? What are the value propositions of the innovation that they're developing? Um, Why would someone want this? What sort of data do they need to demonstrate so that people will want to use this? It's all about making sure that the technologies that federal funds go towards actually make it to the people that it's trying to serve, to the patients and the clinicians. So this is a program that I've been helping to run since we conceived it in 2014. And um, we've put over 100 different company teams through the program at the NIH, and we've been very pleased with the type of 
feedback we've received from researchers who go through the program. And we're really excited about the progress those teams have made to date. This is maybe a bigger question than that, but do you find that to be successful in any of these fields, you have to sort of embrace not only the science and the technology, but also the entrepreneurship and the the business? You know, there's plenty of people who can't do both of those. They may have brilliant ideas, but there's nowhere for them to go, or they may be great business people, but they don't quite have the the idea to, to make it. Yeah. So, so when you talk to scientists, sometimes you'll see them falling out into two different camps. And maybe one camp is the basic science researcher who you have to respect for, <laughs> for doing all of the tough legwork that it, it takes to understand how you know, a system works or um, where these new research areas are going to lead. And then you might come across this second camp, which is the innovator. And it's that, it's that sort of mindset that says, okay, we have this, this technology. How do we actually use it? How do we make it do something useful for, for us, for people? Um, and, and really, that's who we're interested in, in supporting through programs like the SBIR. It's really that translational step from taking research, um, taking these projects that have been developed in basic science academic labs, and being able to push them out into a space where many people can benefit from them. Well, that's great. Well, thank you so much, Christy, for taking the time to chat with us. Sure, absolutely. Thank you for the opportunity. Thanks for sticking around to the end of the show. Help other people find this podcast by giving us a rating on iTunes. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Scope Podcast. Our theme music was composed by The Copycuts. Cuts.